ever wanted a career in football? At the Global Institute of Sport, you can now study a master's degree in football business or football coaching and analysis right here in Australia. GIS is the largest provider of sports degrees in the UK with campuses at Wembley and Etihad Stadium. Learn online with unique access to the iconic MCG and a big-hitting Australian industry network. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree and join GIS's global network of football leaders. Apply now to start in February 2023. Learn more at gis.sport.fnr. That's gis.sport.fnr. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. And each and every way, uh, let me try again, each and every week I can say with great confidence there are companies, supporters and people who get behind FNR Football Nation Radio and one of them is the Global Institute of Sport. Again, giving people an opportunity who love the game, who want to be involved in the game, uh, a chance for a career in the game. Um, Pakua Frimpong is my co-host. Welcome to everyone who joins us each and every week on this program called State of Our Football Nation. A couple of very special guests to tell you about in just a moment. In fact, I think we should introduce the first one. Now, we, we, we won't hold it against him, but he was born in Glasgow a number of years ago. I'm not going to mention how many number of years ago, but he spent a lifetime in the game. He's spent a lifetime coaching. He's spent a lifetime playing. Uh, is there anything he hasn't done? And Pakua, I can tell you now, he joins us because Football Federation Australia, or Football Australia as it is today, has appointed him to step up and take up a very important position in the game just as we get ever closer to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand come July. Uh, welcome to Tom Samani. Tom, welcome. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. Thank you, George. It's great to be here. Now, what have they given you to to pursue? Um, I, I knew Ernie Merrick had a particular role and a particular responsibility, but he seems to have moved on to an even uh, uh, st- stronger position within Football Australia and apparently he's anointed you or they've anointed you to come, to come in and basically take over that part of the, of the, the competition and that part of the game. Well, I don't think, I, I don't think, hopefully they're not annoyed. It's a, it's the Football Coaches Association who, who have appointed me as an ambassador uh, to take over uh, from Ernie because of the role he's taken up in uh, With the Football FA, Australia. Yeah, Football Australia, the role that he's taken up it makes it impossible for him to do the role at the Football Coaches Association. So, you know, Ron Smith did it initially. Yeah, yeah. And then he had other roles and then Ernie took over. And now, you know, I say they're getting a youth policy in now. You know, I'm taking <laughs> over from those two. You know, uh, you've, you've <laughs> mentioned two of two of the, the biggest names in the game for an awful long time in terms of coaching. Ron Smith, uh, an ornament and, and a terrific man who knows the game and still, uh, you know, contributes. Uh, Ernie, who just will not quit as long as he has his fabulous bottle of red wine, and I'm talking quality, he will stay with us forever and a day. Um, do you have a particular um, uh, strong uh, ingredient that you add to your daily mix to keep you vital and to keep you hungry and wanting to be part of the game? Um, I. I... Always have an afternoon sleep. Uh, that's <laughs> as much as I can, <laughs> which seems to be getting longer. Well, I was, I was trying to make it longer and longer these days, but I'm ending up being too busy to to fit it in. And uh, yeah, I'd be quite happy to join Ernie in these expensive bottle of wine. But uh, I, d- I didn't know he forked out that kind of money. Oh no, no, no! You see, it, when you when you spend the time in the game that he has, you you get a chance to meet and to, to mix with a great number of wonderful people. And some of them, of course, are winemakers. And I'm sure that he has a very special connection to some brands that I don't know. And Pakua, of course, who's a fitness fanatic, just <laughs> keeps that stuff well away from her body. Um, uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Pakua, you, you should be rather uh, pleased that we've got Tom Samani on. Absolutely. Because he's coached just about everybody. He's coached the New Zealand women's team. He's coached the Australian team. Um any questions you might no, like see, to run past? See, him? I was just, I was 
just waiting your no, turn. No, 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 I was waiting my turn, but I was also <laughs> browsing uh, the Wikipedia page. Which, oh which no! Nice to, and, no, no, and, no, no. You ask, you ask Tom, and he'll answer everything. No, but see, I was looking, and I was like. Tom's his, his pages, the pages are bigger than any biggest book in the entire world. Of, <laughs> it's of called that. a CV but, and it's, man, it's a quite, quite substantial one. Yeah, but, uh, can you believe some of the things he's done? No, I, and that's, I was going to ask you, Tom, obviously with the Women's World Cup coming and obviously you've had a, a role to play in both of the host nations, their women's football departments. What, how, how do you think this World Cup is going to go with those, those with Australia and New Zealand operating it and in terms of their football who's which side's the better side who side's going oh to he's, take not gonna, it? he's not gonna answer that come question. on come on Tom, come on Tom. Gonna, yeah well uh, well firstly i just and it's there i'm i'm actually by or i'm working with canada at this world cup and as part of the working with the enemy george he's no he's not working with the enemy he's he's helping them through a difficult phase <laughs> and and their men's game <laughs> is is prospering their women's team in the olympics was awesome yeah yeah, and it's it's uh, it's a in a part time technical role, not the head coach or anything. Anyway, but I think the World Cup would be fantastic. I think you know you're already seeing the you know the um, ticket sales going through the roof. Yep. The, the fact that they moved the first game to the Olympic Stadium now, <laughs> yes, it's an unbelievable statement. And and how like as I say, I think people outside the game don't realise how big this game is. And the fact that you've got a world event in in a women's sport that can actually you can actually put thirty two teams together, you know, outside of our football, there's not another world sport, men's or women's, that could actually put thirty two teams together and run a competitive tournament. Um, so I, I think it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, Tommy, you're, you're across and have seen the talent that's available to New Zealand. You've seen the, t- the, the talent available to Australia. And, of course, you're watching and, and, uh, and, and uh, covering many of the other teams, and as you touched on, Canada. Um, is the, is the uh, arrival of all those European leagues and, as co- and of course, the Super League in, in Britain, uh, which allows many of our players, Australian and New Zealanders, to now actually have a long season and not just 10 games as we saw in the early days of the, um, the A-League women's, uh, this, this allows them to become infinitely better players because they, they become more seasoned. They get a chance to play in a, in a particular set and sequence with, with other players of world renown. Do you think that's one of the things why we're seeing such great progress being made in the game for, the, for, for women? Yeah, the European juggernaut has eventually awakened, and it <laughs> happened about probably three or four years ago, really, that where they actually started saying, you know, this part of the game is one that can be serious, and that we can actually grow, and we can actually benefit out of as as clubs, as nations, and I think we're we're seeing that effect now, and the uh, the impact it's had on women's football has been unbelievable, uh, and the great thing now is that you know there are not just the top tier players, but you can, you know, you look at the, I don't want to call them necessarily second tier players, but not the star players, are now able to make a, a professional living out of the game for, for their whole careers. So the, the game's changed significantly and it's had a big impact at international level. So going into this World Cup now, you know, you could probably pick one of eight teams that could actually win it. Wow. Um, and in any tournament, as I say, in any sport, anywhere in the world, to actually look and see, you know, there's eight teams in with a chance, or even more, is, is just phenomenal. So the, the game's gone to a, an incredible level over the last, you know, very, very quickly, since about 2018, 2019. We're talking to Tom Samani, our special guest on State of Our Football Nation on FNR, George Danikin, along with Pakur Frimpong. And something that really uh, I need to ask You've been in tournament play. You understand the dynamics and you understand uh, how it differs from, say, a competition that runs 20 or 30 weeks, right? Yeah. What are the key ingredients that both New Zealand and Australia have to take on board to make sure that their contribution is going to be as good as it can be? And we we know that luck plays a a role as well. I think the two things, one is not to go in overdone and the other one is not to get too distracted. I think the biggest challenge 
for Australia and to an extent New Zealand, with them having a home World Cup and with the profile of the Matildas, there's going to be so much going on, so much noise outside the group. It's going to be very important for them not to get distracted with that noise. You know, every man and his dog, TV station, radio station, Mm -hmm. will want to be talking to Sam Kerr, want to talk to Caitlin Ford, etc. So it's important to do that. And it's also important to get that last bit of preparation right where you don't want to have your team together for too long going into the tournament, but you don't want to have them too short so that they get into the tournament fresh. And and that can be, you know, particularly around the FIFA rules and, and around the amount of games players are playing now, that can be a little bit of a tricky challenge. I, You know, speaking of you don't have your players uh, together for too long and you, you kind of you want to keep the side fresh. I think I think a lot of people have wondered in terms of the Tony Gustafsson side. He, he said a while ago that he's figured out what his squad is mm-hmm. heading into this World Cup and there are maybe one or two tweaks that may occur, but he's relatively solidified his squad. As a former as a head coach, how long out before a World Cup do you know what your, your, your team is? How long should you reckon is probably a yeah. good time? It depends where your squad's at. You know, if I go back to... In terms of development, two, is that right? Yeah, yeah was, okay. Yeah, if I go back to the last two World Cups I had with Australia, 2007-2011, our 2007 squad was really a settled, experienced squad. So I knew that squad some time out. But mm-hmm. there's always the last three players are always your biggest challenge. Um, but that squad was fairly settled. 2011, we had lots of retirements. So we were actually going into that with a bright, we ended up going in with eight players under 20. Um, so that was a more challenging squad to put together because you weren't quite sure where the players were at in their stage of development. Um, and that was much more challenging. So the the idea was to have, uh, and I think the Matildas have been fairly settled over the last few years. They're still, they're not an old squad, uh, but they're a very experienced squad. So the real core of players, I think already picked themselves. And then I think there's probably three or four at, at the bottom where you're juggling six or seven players for those last three or four spots. And I think that's where the position that he's in. And I think uh, that even goes towards the starting 11. I would say now Tony would probably have nine of his starting 11 kind of at the back of his head. Um, and and to be honest, that's that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be at this stage. Uh, Tom Samani, um, sports science plays its role and it continues to make a bigger impact each and every year. Um, we talked about the cycle and you had two different sides there in, in, in different cycles. One was, as you, as you said, uh, pretty complete and the other one was brand new experimental side. Um, how many How many internationals do you think players need from the coach's perspective to know that they're not going to let you down? Is oh, it 20 real... games? Is it 15 games? Or is it dependent entirely on the characters that you bring in? It depends, again, on the, the cohesion of, of the squad. Sometimes, um, if I go back to, again to those two World Cups yep. that I had, yep. in my first World Cup with the experienced squad, what we wanted to do was play games because we had the team. I wasn't sort of putting the team together. The second time, what we did was... We had the, the landscape was different then. What we did was had lots of camps where we got the players working together, working together to see which ones came through. The the challenge you have when you when you only play games is that you don't get much time to do training and actually look at players um in depth. So it's trying to get that balance right. In saying that, the game now has changed significantly where it's like the men's game. You're only getting your players in FIFA windows. And and in most of the FIFA windows, you've really got to use those windows to play games, um, and that's part of uh, part of that as a financial reason. But part of it is also you actually don't end up getting that many games together. So so at the moment, um, really, when you come into camp, it's it's about preparation and about games and about uh, refining your squad to hopefully get it ready to hit the ground running come July. And obviously. When you were the coach of the Matildas, the the build up of the players was inc- entirely different. A lot of them were homegrown talent, were playing at home in the A League women's at the time. But now a lot of the players are playing abroad, playing in Europe, and 
there are there are some that play in at home in Australia and we see them week in and week out. But what do you think is the role of the competition of the A League women's? Because for me, when I look at it, I think. I don't know if the time has passed, but I do think women's football is at a different landscape to men's football where the A-League women's could grow to be one of the most competitive women's competitions in the world. We just play it at different times and it, it, it makes it a little bit difficult. But how do you see the A-League women's in the landscape of women's football? That's a great question because I think the landscape's changed. When we started the league in 2008, it was a league that we wanted to have a, a domestic profile. It was a league where we wanted to extend the year for players, it was a, a league where we wanted to look at players who were probably late developers. Um, it, it's now become a, a normal competitive league, but over the last two or three years, obviously because of where leagues have expanded in the world, we've lost some of our key players and most of our Matildas. So in some ways, it's sort of gone back a little bit to a developmental league where it's a very young league. Um, and you're looking at domestic players. So at the moment, I think that's where it is in the landscape, which is not a bad thing um, because what it's allowing is uh, it's allowing a lot of young players mm. to play all the way during the summer where they wouldn't normally play. And if we can extend it to next year, 22 games, where they're playing a reasonable number of games, they're training for 35 weeks and as a professional environment as you can get here. So it's going to help that development. And then the reality of the, where the women's game is at the moment, from there, the better players, like in men's football, are going to head overseas. Then I think in time, as your older Matildas start to sort of maybe finish their careers overseas, mm. hopefully they'll start filtering back. So say maybe like the Claire Polkinghorns, uh, Kellogg Knights playing in the league this year, uh, maybe a Lydia Williams who are, you know, getting up to the mid-30s. Hopefully when they're sort of finished their time in Europe, they'll then start coming back to the league. So we'll start getting that mix of really good, experienced professionals coming back and the young players coming through who will then will take their careers in different directions. The top four nations in the world, in your opinion at the moment, uh, Canada has got to be right up there. The Americans have got to be right up there. The Lionesses, what did you make of uh, England in the in the Euros? Uh, sensational. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's where, you know, when you talked about um, tournament football, yeah. it all just clicked perfectly. They got, they got, t- um, and sometimes, you know, obviously it's good management, but sometimes, as you know, George, there's a wee bit of good fortune yeah, yeah. to football. Um, and they just got it right. And, and everybody contributed. They had a team that was on for 60 minutes and then they had three automatic subs that came on and scored goals every time they came on. So you <laughs> your, your impact think, oh, players. You don't have to think. Yeah. You know, when things aren't going right, you're, you know, you're overthinking things and trying different things. Basically, they had a, a it just kind of clicked and it went like magic. And I think it was a great thing. I'm, I'm Scottish. I shouldn't be saying this. I won't be allowed back. <laughs> um, I, I didn't hear it. I think it's, hear a, it. it's a great thing. Uh, heresy uh, no uh, it was a great thing for the game that they won it because it gave the game in the UK such a boost oh. um, and I think that benefits everybody it certainly did and I, I don't want to bring up sad memories uh, <laughs> for Tom because obviously the Scots just narrowly missed out on qualifying for the World Cup after losing to the Irish no. I can't remember if it's the Republic of Ireland or Ireland I'm not quite sure so Katie no, McCain, McCain's side yeah um, but it, the, I the, that that Euros moment was a moment that oh. so many people have been waiting for because because the moment it broke in the UK and it like it it was no it longer it was no, it was no longer just a niche crowd who yeah. loved women's football right. and would tune in for it and and the the works the work of like play, people like Ian Wright and things like that to to spread that message really really important but once it broke in the UK it it was like it filtered to the general public. Yeah, but it was and, like a wave. Yeah, it was, and it was, it was, it was an incredible wave. And I am really looking forward to this Women's World Cup because there are so many players that and so many teams that are capable of winning, as Tom said. like There are like eight squads that could win it given their day. And obviously it's a little unfortunate that some players, like we, some really, really quality players like Beth Mead, Viviana Miedemar, uh Kototo from PSG, unable to play in the tournament because of ACL injuries. But... The players that are still available, it's absolutely tremendous. So I want to ask Tom, who's a player that you love watching and you love their game style? Just that you're like, wow, that's their level and skill and their dedication is like ten out of ten. Well, the the, the player that I I buy, you just mentioned that the, the player that I thought was the best um, 
striker in the world, apart from Sam Kerr, obviously, um, is Midema. She's the player. She actually reminds me of a female Mark Viduka. She, um, <laughs> she doesn't have the physique of Viduka, no. but she's the foot skills. And the, and the, the way she plays with the back to the goals, correct? Back to goal, yeah. The yeah. way she plays in the penalty area where, you know, most people become a little bit frantic. And yeah. and she is um, just such a quality, high-quality footballer. So if I was looking at a young player and looking as a centre-forward, I would say, like, you look at her. And that's the player that you look at. See, Tom, you're, you're speaking you're speaking, my language. Language, <laughs> speaking my language. As an Arsenal fan, you're speaking my language. It's all right. It's her Ghanaian that's coming through See, as well. I have uh, a little question. I, little what, I, question. What, I, what, I, what I watch Viviana Miedemar play, I think she's a number 10. Much like Harry Kane is a number 10 now, I think she's a really great goal scorer, but she looks like a number 10 to me. Tom, am I, am I crazy to think that she's a number 10? No, I think she can be either. I think she, she's got the, the, the football ability to be either, like you say, Lynn George mentioned, she can play with a back to goal. Mm. She can play penalty area. She can lead the line. She can make runs in behind. But at the same time, she's got that composure and skill and vision that she can play as a number 10 and create chances. I say to people whenever they say to me, oh, there are nine or a 10. But hang on. Oh, what system is the team playing? And well, quite yeah. often, Conte has asked of of Harry to to, yeah. to do things that most strikers can't do. And the, and the yeah. measure of this young man, uh, and he's still, in my opinion, is a young man, is his development has been extraordinary. And yeah. he has added strings to his bow, which tells me he's a fantastic professional. Because, yeah. Tom, uh-huh. you, you want your professionals to aspire each and every season to, be, to work on what their weaknesses were and get better. Isn't that right? Yeah. Isn't that what you completely. want from each, all your players? Yeah, completely. And, yeah. The other thing on that, and aside to that, is a, a band talking in numbers at training. I don't. I talk about positions and players. <laughs> I don't talk numbers. <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, that's a hundred percent. And I think Harry Kane's probably a great example because of uh, you know he's such an accomplished player. But as you see, he's now playing different roles in the team. Mm. And 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 what a remarkable. Uh, consistency. This is the young man that was going to be a one-season wonder. Remember? I wish so badly. Remember? <laughs> I remember the season he never scored till October, I think, and people were writing him off. That's and right. And how did he finish? Pretty well. goals or whatever. I just want to. I wanted to ask. Obviously, you were, you started the season with uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers, and you guys brought in Cat Smith as the head coach of the women's team, and. And it, it, it started off rocky against that, that first game against Newcastle. It was really, really a difficult game. But yeah. but, but Cat has, seems to have turned it around and they've beaten three the three Melbourne sides. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they've beaten. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember if it was one draw. But they've beaten yeah. all the Melbourne yeah. sides. And, and Cat has the, – the side's major issue, the major issue in the past has been the lack of scoring. And, and she really seems to have turned that and they've kind of almost clicked – how have you seen the development of the Wanderers women's side? Um, well, firstly, I, I say Kat has done a magnificent job here because, like you say, we virtually put a, it was almost a new team together. I think that first game against Newcastle, there was only one player in the starting eleven that was at the club uh, yeah. last year. So it's it's not easy when you you come in as a new coach and you're putting a whole new group together. And we had a couple of things that just didn't quite go away early on. And she's she, she's. She's done a, two, a, a great job in two particular areas. One, the way she's kept the squad together, because it's quite easily easy, as you know, when you're not winning games for a bit of disharmony and things to creep in. She's done a fabulous job keeping the team really united. But she's also made some critical tactical changes that have helped how the team have played. And that's not easy to do. And uh, Take that, that risk, if you like, or back yourself to make those changes. And she's done that, and the team sort of turned the corner and and had some really positive results. So she's she's um, despite the fact she comes from Victoria, she's done very well. <laughs> uh, Tom, it sounds like she's a great people person, but it also yes. suggests to me that she's a great football brain because you can't make yeah. those adjustments and pick up little things here and there unless you're thinking about the game in a forward fashion. You know, like looking forward, like playing chess. You're playing 50 moves ahead. The the, the, the the elite are playing 100 moves ahead in, in some respects. Um, it, it, it shows 
that she has it inside her, that, that, that um, DNA that to be a, a very good people person and, and manager. Yeah, 100%. And both, and both those areas, you know, are, are critical to coaching. It's not just about your technical and football ability. And it's not just about your, your ability to manage players. It's a balance of both. Um, and she's done that exceptionally well. And, and particularly as a young coach who brought up in a coaching system where it was kind of uh, regimented that you played a 4-3-3 in some capacity. And she's gone about and completely changed that. And um, and that shows, you know, both insight and and courage and and um, confidence in your ability to to be able to do those things. Yeah, they're the sorts of ingredients that every uh, man manager or per- person manager uh, must have. They must have the courage. They must have that that ability to stand uh, stand away from it in in the heat of the battle. Uh, you you hear, you hear people saying, "Don't the really good ones never lose their heads?" The, while the others are losing their heads, they're sitting there. Uh, looking around, making those minute adjustments in milliseconds. We're not talking about five minutes. We're talking milliseconds in the penalty area. But they see it's like that goal that um, we saw at Brighton uh, against Liverpool the other day. Oh, the, yeah. That young man from Japan yeah. did something yeah. that if I try, if I to, if I told you I was going to do it, uh, you yeah. would not believe it was possible. And if someone said it, wrote it, wrote it down in a script for a Hollywood movie, you'd go, "No, no, kid, it doesn't happen. No one's going to buy it." And he's just—he took it beautifully. He brought the ball into control. He then balked almost. He almost yeah. balked and then pushed it past for for a goal. That's exceptional. Um, yeah. And we're seeing more and more of that. Is the exposure around the world and all the leagues now that we're seeing from every level? Um, this was never available in my day. If I got something in black and white 10 minutes from, uh, from Britain um, and uh, when I got to SBS, we had the opportunity, to, of course, to, to get tapes from around the world. But to, to, to understand now that the young men and women can see anything almost on demand, it's, it's incredible. Is that why we're seeing so much adventure on the pitch? I think that certainly helped. Yeah, I think the the, um, the ability to see things, particularly for young players and mm. young people, because that's what they do. They copy. And even, yeah. you know, back, uh, I say our day, I'm a bit older than you, George. Back in the day. You, no, no, you actually, get... I'm older than you, young fella. Are you? Well, I've got okay. you covered. I've got you covered <laughs> by my wife would sit there and say, give it a break. Give it a break. But I've got him. <laughs> but you, you were about to say, you were about to say. Um, I think the exposure now that young people can see things and that and and they're great copiers, young people, and they can go out. You know, back in, in our day, there wasn't that much you could see, no. so it was much harder to copy things. Now they can actually go out uh, and they can do that, and um, you know, facilities are better, uh, and they can record uh, themselves, can't they? They can yeah. actually record themselves that. trying it. Uh, all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we're going to talk to Nick Montgomery very shortly. He's doing a fabulous job at the Central oh, Coast Mariners. Really? And really? he's a terrific young man. And yeah. he was, he's, he said to us on a, on a number of occasions, he's got some terrific young talent there. And his, and his trick, not his trick, but his, his, his requirement and his composure is trying to make sure that he gives them the time to get the experience, but not to overplay their hand, not to ask too much of them. He doesn't want to burn them out. He doesn't want to ask too much. He wants them each and every time he calls them to to step in to make an impact. Is that yeah. is that the ideal way to make younger players better players? Give them the opportunity to be impact players, like we saw with young Garen yeah. Quoll, who was extraordinary even at the World Cup. Yeah, no, very much so. I think if you if you have um, the opportunity to do that and environment to do that it, it's perfect and and they also then need again those managerial skills to give those young players the confidence and the and the enough rope to be able to go out <laughs> and actually do those things um and also to practice you know i think one of the things that i found um that uh we were we've been in a sort of systemized structural uh, coach education system for some time and I think that's really harness uh, that's really pulled players back a little bit I think we need to go back to more 
uh, individual work. You know, I think they've become one of the downsides of all the stuff we've done is that everything has become too organized, too structured, yep. too uh, sterile, if you like. Um, and I think it's important to go back to more, you know, developing of the individual player and the individual, um, and then balance that within the team structure. And I think we're beginning now to see that come back again. And I think that's a great thing. And I think, and and uh, this is not, I don't have any evidence of this, but I think, you know, if you look at the, the A-League now, you know, you're seeing a lot of um, young African players come yep. into the A-League. Yep. And they've got that natural ability just to play, to mm. play the game. Because that's how they've been brought up. And I think that's a breath of fresh air. And if we can see a bit more of that coming into the game within the structure, then I think that would be great for the game and individual development. Uh, Bruce Kamau was one of the first of those young players, uh, like a breath of fresh air. Uh, he, he scored a ma- memorable goal for the Adelaide Reds in a grand final back in 2016 at the Adelaide Oval and lit a fuse for, for the next generation of youngsters. And Garen Quall is that latest one. And what he's doing in Scotland in these early formative moments is exciting. But what he did for us in the World Cup, and uh, uh, Pakua and I have spoken a number of occasions, that passage of play where he brought the ball down in the dying minutes of the game against Argentina and hit the target, and if it hadn't been for the brilliance of the Argentinian keeper, we would have been 2-2. Yeah, I know. How exciting would that have been? (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) But 10 years ago, they wouldn't have tried that. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Bravo. Uh, Tom, listen, we're, we're so excited that you uh, chose to join us today. Thank you very much. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to uh, continue. And as the, the competition, of course, for the Women's World Cup gets closer and closer, we'd love to get you back on air on FNR and talk some more. Is that possible? That would be lovely. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks Fantastic. For Great to catch up. <laughs> Tom Simani, thank you so very much for joining us. He's been uh, just terrific. Uh, although, as we touched on at the very beginning, he was born in Glasgow, uh, Pakua. We've never held it against him. We haven't. The Scots have contributed to this game we, in this we... country on a great many occasions. Don't let Lockie know that's who we're at. <laughs> <laughs> hey, has Lockie stopped breathing? No, no, or has Lockie's, he held Lockie's, his breath? Lockie will be at, in uh, the FNR studios. He'll be on Radio Dub tonight with me. Is that right? He'll be here. Oh, well, please ask him. To take a deep breath because I, I noticed that there was a, a moment there. There was an absolute moment when uh, young Garen Qual uh, burst onto the scene and I was concerned that maybe, just maybe, um, <laughs> Lockie would have stopped breathing. Uh, but we've got Tom Samani on one side and Nick Montgomery joins us. Uh, welcome, young fella. Hey, guys, how are you? Uh, good. Tom has been uh, raving and talking about uh, your work. He's very, uh, he's a very big fan. Y- you must be uh, chuffed to hear that sort of uh, uh, talk from someone who's contributed to the game on so many different levels for such a long time. Nick doesn't know who I am. Oh, he does. <laughs> he knows. He knows. He knows. Do. What, do you, what do you make of that, Nick? Oh, obviously, it's, it's you know it's really humbling when you hear people talk nicely about yourself. But I think most importantly about the club, and, and obviously the club has had a, a big history in the A League since it started, and it's had ups and downs. But I think now, you know, we've sort of really gone back to what the club's about, and that's developing players, that's giving a platform for local talent, Australian talent, as well as. You know, visa players that are coming here for the right reasons, not for the salary, but to you know to to, to help their career and help them maybe use this as, as a stepping stone. So that is always it's always nice. So I appreciate the nice words, Tom. I don't know what you said. Hopefully it was nice. But... <laughs> well, you'll hear it. You'll hear it in the podcast. You'll certainly hear it whenever you you reach on onto uh, FNR. But in truth, one of the things that Tom mentioned, and uh, we can talk about it again, he's been delighted. With how we've we've got, we're going away from some of the organised and very systematic coaching, and we're giving breath to the these young talented players coming through now and letting them grow and mature at their level, and not trying to squeeze them in to make them more like soldiers. We're letting them show us what's in their DNA, but also what flair they have, and you've done it magnificently, uh, Nick, especially this year. 
You've done it the last couple of years, but this year you're letting some of these boys fly, which is super exciting. And that's what Tom was alluding to. He, w- he was saying we need more of it, and he's delighted to see it happening. I think the, you know, the national team needs more of it. If there's ever a time now after the World Cup, I think you look at some of the big countries that have never made it to the World Cup and, you know, when the Socceroos don't only make it, but they get through to, uh, you know, to the knockout stages. And, you know, we have a player like Garan Kowal, who two years ago was, you know, playing in Melbourne at an MPL club. And then he becomes the second youngest to Pele to ever play in a knockout stage. So, and then he gets moved to Newcastle United in the Premier League. So, you know, the momentum from, the World Cup and and yeah, a lot of good young players. Kai Rolls was absolutely outstanding in the tournament. Harry Suter, you know, some young boys that came on Bacchus and, you know, you look at Bacchus, for example, good midfielder, playing at West Sydney the year before, not even making the top six. But again, that's not always a reflection of of the young players. There's good young players out there. Um, fortunately that we've got a lot of them at the Mariners and and yeah, look, it's it's I think the the, the country has shown that it, it cannot not only produce good A-League players. It can produce players that can play at the top level international and overseas. And you look at the, Scot- the Scottish Premier League now, it's littered with uh, young Australian talent because it's a league where they can easily get there. They don't need an English passport <laughs> and, and they get op- uh, get opportunities. So it's, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud that I can say that I've maybe contributed a little bit to developing some of these young players. I, I can say without uh, any uh, um, uh, problem that... Uh, the, the sheer fact that you've given them a license to thrill is, is fantastic. Um, uh, the, the, the scenes on the final day of Garen Qual's um, uh, A-League uh, career were most memorable and you got a great result. Uh, has that feedback filtered through throughout, throughout the district and throughout um, the club? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, we were, we're all really proud of, of Garang and, and obviously he's now, you know, overseas at a Premier League club on loan in the SPL. But for him, it's also a continued learning process where, you know, we told him it's going to be a lot harder. It's a lot more ruthless. There's a lot more games. You know, it's it's more physical. There's more pressure. So he's going to take time to adapt because he's such a young a young kid. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, to, to, to see that... Um, that exposure for Garang and to see not only here, but just global recognition, you know, because you're talking about a kid that had people from Barcelona talking about him and, and, and teams all over the world were looking at him. But you know, now for Garang comes the hardest time and that's for him to keep his feet on the ground, to, to mix in the right circles, to, to keep level-headed and to keep humble because if he doesn't do that, you know, there's plenty of... Uh, plenty of examples you can use where that doesn't quite work out so you know that's what we need to make sure doesn't happen and you know the national team here you know keeps keeps bringing him into national teams and exposing him with with the the best Australian players as well and and keeps helping to to, to mentor him so yeah it's it's been it's been a, a good time but he's now moved on and, and now we look at the next young players that that can that can come through into the first team let's talk about uh the Mariners Central Coast Mariners uh uh, Tom Samani was uh, is, is is with us and has done uh, a terrific job giving us a sense of uh, some of the excitement that lies ahead with the uh, the arrival of the Women's World Cup and we're going to see uh, you know an absolute cavalcade of talent. Um, the A League Men's is getting to that interesting stage right now, <clears throat> and you're r- right on the edge. You're pushing uh, the the top team in the competition, the Melbourne uh, Melbourne City. And you've got some very important games coming up. Uh, how does the squad look? Are you carrying any major injuries? And if and again, don't give away any secrets if you don't have to. Um, but um, I, I'm seeing some terrific development play. You're getting some wonderful drive out of the middle, and you've got some people at the at the top end, as, as Tom said, who, who who can keep their heads in the penalty area, and they'll get the results. You're, and you're seeing goals coming in. Yeah, look, the statistics are there. You know, where they've, where they've scored the most goals in the league, we create the most opportunities, and again, that's a result of the way that we play. Um, I think we go out and try and win every game, and, and uh, you know, to considering that that we are the lowest budget in the league, mm-hmm. to have you know players in that attacking third like Jason Cummins, Tullio, Sammy Silvera, Benny Nicololo, who just brought in Dylan Wenzel Halls, who's a fantastic young player as well. He's going to add more weight. We have got Michael Roos. 
We've also got Maresh coming back from from a long-term injury. So we know as a team that we're going to create chances. We have goal scorers. And, and if we can defend properly and not give sloppy goals away like we did against West Sydney a few nights ago, then we can win every game of football. But that's the hardest thing in football. We don't take that for granted. Um, and, and yeah, look, we're not going to change the way that we play. It's come to that time of the season where there's, you know, I mean, Benny Nicololo was suspended on, on the weekend for four yellow cards because mm. he got a yellow card from the Melbourne City game where he wasn't even involved in a tackle. It was two Melbourne City players tackled each other and Benny got a yellow card. So, Ouch. you know, the, the, crazy things like that. And, and yeah, people Tom, pick, pick Tom, up Tom, Tom knows about those things. He's probably seen some of them. Yeah, amazing. Honestly, you're probably the only playing world football to get suspended with four yellow cards. But anyway, these are the things that we have to we have to get on with. Um, 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 uh, Nick, I've got to tell you, uh, Tom can actually tell you of a famous um, EPL referee who gave was it three yellow cards to one Croatian player, Tom? Yeah, to Joe Simonich. Yeah, young Simonich, who of course um, uh, uh, learned much of his football. Uh, at the Institute of Sport in Canberra, and he got not one, not two, but three yellow cards. Nick, maybe new and stayed on. <laughs> Look, it's it's amazing when you have VAR now, and, and you know you talk clear and obvious errors. Oh. And after the game, after the game, we made it very clear that he never he never touched anybody. But apparently, there's a process that takes two weeks to go through, and by the time that happened, it's yeah. Anyway, he's suspended. So anyway, that's oh, a long dear. story, but. Wow. You know, it's, it's that time of year where every team's picking up niggles, suspensions, and, and that's where the squad really comes in, in into test. And that's where here we've got plenty of young players waiting in the wings that know that if they get the opportunity, you know, they they can they can grab it with both hands. So yeah, we uh, we take it each game as it comes. The old saying, and yeah, we've got some every game from now to the end of the season. It's a tough game because the league's pretty tight. Everyone's fighting for points. There's some big teams down there at the bottom and. And yeah, everybody, uh, yeah, everybody's trying to get points, so we, we can only concentrate on ourselves, and that's what we continue to do. And Nick, obviously, your side's in second position on the table, really close to, to, to potentially taking that number one spot. But you're in a great position heading into the, the finals. How do you keep your squad's feet on the ground when they're they're doing so well this season, and there's so much buzz around mm. the squad? How do you, as a head coach, manage that kind of situation in the squad with the squad? I think it's got to be realistic and, and been realistic. We know that we've thrown away points this year. We've also had you know, some uh, eight VAR goals ruled out, um, which would have got us more points. So if you add some of them points together, we know we we could be quite easily, you know, um, um, above Melbourne City, you know. And that's I don't say that being arrogant. I say that the points that we've actually thrown away and had taken away from us. Um, but Melbourne City are a good team. You know, they're a good team. They they've got a massive budget. They've got some very good players. And just try to say to the boys, hey, don't take the pressure off. There's no pressure on us. Nobody expected us to even be in the top six last mm. year and this year. So you've got <laughs> nothing nothing to fear. You know, nothing to fear. Home or away, let's go out and try and win the game. And where, the, where we end up at the end of the season is ultimately where we deserve to be. And, you know, I always say the Mariners making the top six is a massive overachievement. So the fact that we're even being talked about of challenging Melbourne City, you know, that that's, that's something that we can be proud of. But we don't take it for granted. And, yeah, we just keep driving training every day and keep trying to strengthen the squad. We're bringing in players like Dylan Wenzel Halls in and you know there may be one or two more coming in in this window as well because we're probably legally under the cap. We've got to spend money, so it's probably a problem that most clubs don't have. But you know, I always say that I'm never going to bring players in from other clubs if they're not better than what we've got at the, at the club and coming through the academy. So you know, we've given plenty of academy boys straight onto early contracts like Jacob Farrell, um, young Netra Tyrannis came straight in onto an early contract and yeah I think it's unless there's somebody better out there you know than what we've got then I don't believe we should bring them in and that's where we promote our own players here which helps us recruit the in the academy moving forward. Uh, Tom Samani has been listening to you uh, talking uh, Nick and I and I can tell you that for sure that there were a great number of goals that were scored in under Tom Samani's watch and he would have loved to have had VAR around uh, wouldn't you Tom? Sometimes, <laughs> no. Sometimes, but not always. I what, think. It, what advice it, would you have for, for Nick, who is one of the uh, most uh, 
um, uh, exciting young uh, managers, coaches in the game. I mean, uh, we talk about the January transfer window. My great fear is that Patrick Kisnorbo was picked up uh, by the City Group to take him to Troyes in, in, in France. And, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm worried now that someone's going to come along and say, hey, this young man down under is doing a fantastic job. Um, why don't we give him uh, this responsibility? Um, what advice would you have for him, Tom? No, I, th- I mean, I think that's him. You know, you've got a young coach. Like, I, it's, I mean, he's he's good. He's been an outstanding player and and now an outstanding coach. So um, I don't know if advice from me is kind of warranted, but I think, you know, what he's done is, and, I, and this is what I really admire, um, is that he's gone into a, a club that's been, you know, as you say, the late, the least budget in the, the league yep. where there's not high expectations and, and he's driven those expectations. He's outperformed way above what anybody else would have expected, not just in results, but in performances as well and in developing players. So I think, you know, what uh, Nick's done is really build a, a fantastic foundation for the future of his coaching career. And I think it's a great way for coaches to start going into that environment and obviously, just from the way he's talking, it's a, he's given his players great confidence mm. to go out there and play and believe in themselves and not just go out to try and get a result, but go out to actually win games. There you go. Now, now Nick, I just want to touch on that point a little bit. When you step into the role of Central Coast Mariners, uh, and you see all the, the, the challenges compared to the rest of the competition, te- rest of the competition in terms of budget, in terms of facilities and things like that, What's the number one priority, like, to set a good culture and foundation to 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 set you on a path that, that you guys are on currently of of winning games and being really competitive in football matches? So, what comes I first truly, is is what uh, Paku is saying. What comes first, Nick? Look, I, I truly believe is is having good people around. You know, I think having good staff. Firstly, you need staff that are buying into what you want to do. And when you talk about resources, I mentioned this before, but when I took over the academy. You know, luckily I knew people that, that respected me and we set up a scouting network, you know, at no cost with good contacts that I had um, and my assistant Sergio had around around Australia. So that was number one. I also then developed players from, uh, uh, sorry, staff from within the club, young staff at the club, instead of outsourcing them. And for example, the video guy now in the A-League space is a young Central Coast boy. He's a fan of the club, a guy called Liam Chauncey. I brought him in. I bought him a camera. You know, he started filming the NPL games, and three years later, he's at the cup final in Melbourne, Fantastic. filming the first team as, as the analyst. So there's stuff like that that I think is really important. And to have good people around you is is number one. I think that, that is number one. And and again, to bring good people in uh, into the club as players that understand the culture, and to remove players and staff that were here that that were wrong for the culture. And I had to do that as well. I had to make big decisions without naming names. You know, I had to remove uh, people that weren't right for the club and didn't have the club um, best interests at heart. And I think when having a group of people and players that are all buying into what you're doing and understand the club and the culture, uh, that's got to be number one. And then you can develop that and then you can add to that and and keep growing that. But yeah, you have to have everybody buying in to to what you want to do. And I think that's, that's number one. You know, when I came into the club, that was the most important thing. And you had the backing of Richard Peel, didn't you? Understanding that yeah, he really, knew he knew what you were saying and you understood what he wanted. Yeah, look, Richard came in, again, great guy, full of enthusiasm. You know, where he wanted to invest was his expertise and that yep. was player development. Yep. And that was with, with some ice baths and saunas, which we never had. So recovery is massively important. We, we used to get, even my playing days, that carried on until I started coaching, getting in a, a bin, getting in a bin with cold water and icing and, you know, think things have improved since then. So really, it's. I, d- I don't think most- I, d- I don't think Tom Samani ever saw a bin, an ice bin. <laughs> Tom, did you ever see an ice bin? Oh, Tom, I think you got yourself. Yeah, we've, we've beers in it. <laughs> we've beers in it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Got some bins, but we never had ice in it. Over oh, those ice. In it. Back in my year, it was usually beer in there, cooling right. the beer down. Right. The game. Not the players. Right. Thank you for that, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Nick. Uh, In one hour, we've been able to showcase the difference in not only technology, but attitudes, 
um, the way people perceived uh, sports science 20, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, there are people to this day who played elite sport, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago and didn't understand that hydration was important. Oh, oh, sorry, they did, but not water. It was more like what Tom was alluding to. It had to be that brown stuff or that green stuff. I, I have they're a, both they're both speechless now. Yeah, they are both speechless. You see, you caught them. You caught them. George. <laughs> I, 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 hearing Nick speak, and I don't want to bring it back to Arsenal, but it, it reminds oh. me a bit of Mikel Arteta. Oh. Mikel Arteta, in the sense of building a culture and 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 creating that, and really having everybody push in one direction and, and propelling them to a place that maybe other people didn't believe, but everybody internally believed. Is there a a, a coach or that you Nick have? you've taken a lot of inspiration from that has helped you develop your philosophy around your footballing style and even your managerial style? Yeah, what you said then, you know, words, culture is a word that everyone throws around, you know, like it's an easy word. It's not, it's <laughs> culture is what, what you create and that's an environment and, and that for me is a winning environment and to have a winning, a winning environment, you need winning behaviours and that goes through the staff, through the players and, and it's not easy. You know, you have to drive that and I think the only way to drive that is honesty. And, and that's one one thing that I've always been. You know, like it or dislike it. I had a I had a manager in Neil Warnock who, if you ask any player, they'll tell you that he's probably the best manager, man manager they ever worked with. And the reason being, he was honest. You know, I remember, I remember. You know, we played against Leeds United in a quarter final of an FA Cup, and I played the game. I got man of the match, and the next game we had Arsenal in the semi final at Old Trafford, and he pulled me the day before the game and he said. I know you got man of the match against Leeds in the quarterfinal, but for this reason, I'm going to start you on the bench and I need you to respect it. And as upset as I was, you know, I just got man of the match. We beat Leeds. We're playing Arsenal, the great Arsenal team, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, uh, Burkamp. I could name you all of them. Uh, obviously, Arsene Wenger was a coach. And, you know, the fact that he was honest with me, I could accept that. And, and he said, I need you on the bench and I need you ready to come on and, you know, straight away, I just respected his honesty and, you know, to have a work with someone like him, you know, to have worked with people like Mike Phelan, who was assistant to Ferguson for 10 yeah, years, yeah. you know, Brian Brian Robson, Brian Kidd, you know, when I look at the people I've worked with and the biggest thing I take out of all them people is the humility and the honesty that, that they live by and, you know, you're talking to some people that have won everything in, 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 the, in the game. Correct. And yeah, and yeah I've all, I came from a humble background in Leeds with parents that taught me the right values of being honest and hardworking. And yeah, that's, that's, I think that's what I've built my self on. And, and that's a culture that I want here. And, and that's you know, the respect I give to the boys. I treat them like adults. So I tell them when they're playing, when they're not playing, when they've done bad, when they've done good and, and they respect that. And that's my way. Everyone's got a different way, but my way is, is to do that. And I, I honestly feel the boys respect that. And, and, and I think that really does help uh, help drive a good culture. Uh, Nick Montgomery is our guest, along with uh, Tom Samani, uh, two people who've not only played the game uh, but uh, are making their own way in, in their different elements of their career. Uh, Tom has spent a, a lifetime putting back into the game. And as we've found out today, he's been part of the, the, the Canada a women's team. Is We're not going to hold it against me. We're not going to hold it against you, no. yeah. As they prepare for the Women's World Cup down under. Uh, Nick has uh, given us a glimpse of uh, some of the things that he did in his playing day. And, of course, uh, Pakua Frimpong is now totally in awe of Nick because she's uh, just an Arsenal no, girl and a half. I'm just if, if, if I see any correlation between Arsenal <laughs> and anybody else, I'm automatically on the ship. That's what's, that's what's happening. But, but quite seriously, uh, the thing that, that – has shone through, and I'll and I'll ask Tom Samani this. The thing I've that shone through with even with this discussion with Nick is it's all about the 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 relationship you have with the players, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, well, just not just the players, but I think everybody, everybody. else. Uh, well, you know, I think it's not that, and it, but it's got to be the genuine relationship. And as Nick said, everybody talks about culture. Everybody talks, you know, yeah, all of these things. But it's the actions that really make a difference, and you know you can see by listening to Nick that he, he's those. It's the actions that have created that environment that he's created at uh, the, the Mariners, and that, yeah. that's a key thing. Everybody uh, we we know in the game uh, who who loves the game and cares for the game and can be neutral 
is saying to us uh, their their team of of choice at the moment is the Central Coast Mariners. That should fill you with a great deal of um, um, of pleasure. But at the same time, you understand um, it's a results driven business. You have a fantastic opportunity to not only finish what you've started, but to break new ground and and make it a historic season, Nick. Yeah, it's no secret. This this ten years ago to this year that the club last won the grand final, and you know I was part of that 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 squad. Um, you know the the club went bankrupt after that year with the new owners coming in, and, and I think what people forget now is when people talk about that great team we had then. You know we had some real good experienced players in myself, Patrick Van John Hutchinson, but we also had young players, Marty Ryan, Tom Rogic, Bernie Beanie, Mitch Duke, for example, and. You know, you look at the league as it is now. You know, a marquee player back then was Del Piero at 39 on, on a massive salary. You know, now you've got visa, visa players that are outside the cap, product players. Teams are spending a lot more money. So, you know, when you, when you actually think about it, you know, it's a lot harder now for a club like us that spend a lot less than we did 10 years ago in, in the budget now. And the big teams are spending and, and utilising all these different ways of, of getting around the cap. And, you know, for me, they should just abolish the cap let the team spend what they want, have an open transfer system so that if Melbourne City want to buy one of our young players, for example, that's the way that we can generate money and, and become sustainable. So I think there's a lot of growth to to come in the A-League. Um, but, you know, for us as a club, you know, we're just going to concentrate on, on doing what, what, what we do and that's just go out and try and win games of football and, and develop players and send players overseas like we did last year and, and, and try and continue to do that because, unfortunately, we don't control the decisions that are made in football in this country. Um, but hopefully things you know things can really push on now since the World Cup. And, yeah, the A-League can keep growing. So I think it's a very good league and it's a great standard. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's in a good place right now and we just need to keep building on it. Uh, Tom Samani, Tom, Tom listening to Nick Montgomery there, um, uh, there's a there's a team in the EPL called Brighton um, that that are spending next to no money, and they keep finding players that the rest of the league want, wants to play wants to pay huge money for. Uh, what have you made of some of those comments from Nick? Do you think he's on the money? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was his win bonus ten years ago. It sent the club bankrupt, from what I'm hearing. <laughs> but, uh... I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, no, it's hundred percent. No, he's 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 on the money with that. I think um, you know the, the different clubs have have different kind of uh, philosophies. They come from different backgrounds, yep. and and I think probably the comparison with Brighton that you mentioned and the Mariners is is probably quite pertinent. And um, you know that that's a club that they are, and I think what Nick's done is really enhance that that um, kind of environment of what the club is about and built success on that. So, and, and um, as I say, it's tough to do that, but fantastic the, the way that he's done it. Yeah, it's, it's a credit to everybody involved. And uh, I just want to say to both of you, uh, Tom, thank you for, uh, for being with us and for staying the, the journey. And for Nick, as always, whenever we reach out to him, to, uh, Tom, he, there is never a no or I can't do it. Unless these, unless they're coaching or unless they're in, in a game mode, the answer is always yes, and we really appreciate it at FNR. And to both of you, thank you very much. We wish you continued success, Nick. Tom, all the very, very best. See you soon. Thanks very much. Thanks, George. Good See luck. Ya. Good luck to, Thanks, to both Thanks, of you. Uh, and uh, Nick, yeah. and Nick, all the best for the weekend. Yeah, good luck for the weekend. Cheers, guys. Go, go Arsenal, <laughs> Mariners. Oh, gee. That's it. <laughs> thank, thank you, mate. Thank you to both of you. Isn't that great? Um, what did you make of having both of them there, two two different generations, but two, both players, successful players, um, uh, hardworking managers. One at one building a career, the other one's had uh, a fabulously colourful one, and and basically has done everything you can. Coached coached um, world world cups, um, delivered uh, tournaments and and uh, and competitions. It's a lot. It's it's wonderful to have that perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I think that the more we hear from different people's perspective, we have different experiences, I think the better the, the game of football becomes. Because, there you go. Because, because different opinions allow us to filter out everything, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. But hearing from Nick, it, I really like hearing from honest, like really honest managers who are just straight to the point and, and want to see the grow 
do so well. And I think that well, that's one of the things that comes across from Nick Montgomery. He seems like a very genuine 100%. person who who understands the position of the Mariners but says that's not the limit of the Mariners. And I think that's a really Im- impressive thing. And, uh, as, as, a, as a man manager and as a coach, yeah. I, I see the player within, the passionate, fire-driven player he was still within the um, that that um, makeup that that now allows him to be the man calling the shots you can see he, he's he's riding every tackle with his players certainly <laughs> and if they score you you can see him uh, you know yes and, and it filters through absolutely and i think that's what makes it easier for them yeah, to, yeah. to believe him and to speak to to tom as well was was great because I to hear from somebody who's been a part of the women's game for so long, even before it was in vogue. You know, just oh, being, very much yeah, so. Yeah, and very just, much so. And that, that I think it's always interesting to see like their perspective on how the game a trailblazer, yeah, and how, yeah, the, yeah, how yeah. the game has has changed and evolved, and where the game still needs to go after seeing all the progression. I think it's always lovely to see. Uh, well, as always, each and every week, the uh, the program State of Our Football Nation is brought to you with the support of the Global Institute of Sport. Uh, Pakua Frimpong has been my co-host George Daniki in this end uh, we look forward to having you join us next week once again on Football Nation Radio You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR